Good evening, everybody. My name is Helen. I'm part of the team here. Merry Christmas to you all. I hope. Merry God. Great reaction. Thank you. Um, I hope you're all feeling ready. I hope you're all feeling very positive in this season. I would like to start by acknowledging the Christmas jumper. Um, this is my crazy affair. I'm totally aware that it is mad. Um, it's one of those reversible sequins. It's a penguin one side and it's a robin the other. Oh, I love that it got away. Thank you. Um, when else in life would you get to wear a jumper this mad at my age and get away with it? So I figure we're just going to wear the Christmas jumper. For, I've got like a week's wear left, I think, before they get put back in the Christmas in, in the cupboard, ready for you know a whole year of just sitting there with nobody appreciating them. So Christmas jumpers all the way. I have to confess, um, I don't know if you're anything like me, but the season we're in right now, these few days of Christmas are my favourite bit of Christmas. I love kind of 22nd, 23rd, particularly love um, Christmas Eve. And what I love about it is I love the sense of expectation and I love the anticipation that comes with those few days. If I'm utterly honest, by the 27th, 28th, I'm completely over it. I'm ready. The trees can come down. I'm ready to move on because for me, it's all about this season. And one of the reasons I think I love that sense is I was lucky enough to grow up in a home where all that was promised with the fairy lights and the food and the presents under the tree, I was lucky enough to grow in a home, grow up in a home where the expectation was met. I wasn't left disappointed on Christmas Day. I was lucky enough that all those things that were promised um, came, yeah, were fulfilled. And even now as an adult, even though my mum doesn't run my Christmas Day anymore, I find myself leaving this season very fulfilled. I feel like the mince pies promised much, the mulled wine promised much, the Christmas movies, they really kind of spoke of something that was to come. And I leave feeling very satisfied. And as I say, I realise that's not the experience for everyone. And so I'm really grateful that that's what I feel. That's partly what I've been reflecting on as I've been reading the Christmas passages again in this season and as I've been praying about today. I've been thinking about that sense of expectation. If I was to give this talk a title, I would call it the fulfillment of the promise. And if I was to give you one thing to take away now, I'll cut, you know, you can zone out at this point. I'm giving it to you early on so you can uh, fall asleep if you need to. But I guess the take home I'd love for us to think about today is that God is a God who keeps his promises. What we see as we read through the Christmas narratives, the stories that we've been hearing over the last few weeks, we see the story of God fulfilling his promises. God doing exactly what he said he was going to do. For hundreds of years, God had promised a rescuer, a saviour, a ruler, someone who was going to come and redeem Israel. The prophets talked about it in the Bible. Even David in his Psalms talks about it. And then not in a way that anyone expects. Mary has a baby and he's proclaimed to be the Messiah that everyone has been waiting for. Angels sing about it. Shepherds are told by a host of angels that he's arrived. Magi follow a star for many, many weeks to come and find him. And I wonder what it would have been like for all those different people. They knew that God had promised this saviour, but they probably never imagined it would happen in their lifetime. And suddenly they're part of this incredible story of God fulfilling this thing that he had been promising for hundreds of years. But there's a couple of characters that, as I've been reading the Christmas story again, have really stuck with me. And uh, we're going to look at them a little bit tonight. I'm going to touch a little bit on Mary, but actually the two main characters I want to focus on tonight are Simeon and Anna. 
Now, Simeon and Anna are kind of right at the end of the Christmas story, and they quite often get cut off because they're not quite as exciting. They're just a little bit in the aftermath. But they're so key to the Christmas story, I think they've got a really important message to bring. And what stood out to me about the bit of Mary we're going to look at and also Simeon and Anna, I was really struck by their faithfulness. I was really struck by their faith in God, even though their circumstances would have caused many people to question. Their circumstances would have caused many people to ask, what is going on? And God, what are you up to? Their story is found in Luke 2. If you've got a Bible, um, you're very welcome to get it out. It will also be coming up on the screens. Um, So just for a bit of context, while I take some water. Um, We read that Jesus was eight days old and Mary and Joseph took him to the temple to have him circumcised and to dedicate him to God, which was the Jewish custom. And we read that they offered sacrifices as would have been the custom. I love this tiny little insight into the life of eight-day-old Jesus. We focus so much on when he was initially born. I love this little insight into Mary and Joseph who just had the craziest few days of their life. And here they are eight days later with their tiny baby at the temple. We're going to read from verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. I just want to pause at that point. I'm sure many of us are aware that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on specific people at specific times. It was only after the resurrection um, of Jesus and after Pentecost did the Holy Spirit come for all people at all time. So this phrase that the Holy Spirit was on him is really significant. This guy is a prophet. He has a unique gift. There's something really special about him. So from verse 26, we read on. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the poor parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I don't know if you're anything like me, but whenever I feel like the Lord has maybe spoken a word, or maybe I feel like I've had maybe a word of prophecy, or I feel like, yeah, maybe the Lord's speaking to me, I am absolutely desperate for a confirmation. (laughs) I think we're probably all a bit like that. We doubt ourselves, don't we? We're all a little bit insecure, even though we may have heard from the Lord many times before. Every single time, I'm like, that's great, Lord, but could you just tell me that again? Maybe in a different fashion. Maybe you could send an angel, or maybe you could do something really out there just so I absolutely know that it was you and it wasn't me making this up. Whether it's little or big, that's definitely my default. But what I also love, and maybe this is because I'm slightly competitive, I love that moment where God does what he said he would do and I'm like, yes, I got it right. That moment where I feel really smug, even though for the last however many weeks I've been doubting myself, I'm like, yes, I heard from God. I got it right. God did exactly what I thought he would do. I wasn't making this up. I can hear from God. And that can be in the tiny things. Very rarely is it in the big things. But those are wonderful moments, aren't they? So then here I was thinking about Simeon. He has heard from the Lord that he won't die until he meets the Lord's Messiah. Can you imagine what that was like for him? 
Simeon by now is an old man. How long has he waited to see the Lord do what he said he would do? How long has he been pondering and thinking about the promise that God spoke to him? Did he wonder, have I got this wrong? Did I make this up? Am I going completely mad? And yet it says, we read that he was moved by the Holy Spirit. He heads to the temple. He probably wasn't expecting it at all. And suddenly he meets Jesus and he realizes he's seen the Messiah. God has done exactly what he said he would do. I remember reading this story as a child and actually feeling a bit sorry for Simeon. This guy has just walked a bit, you know, unassuming into the temple and bam, he's just had his death sentence pronounced. (laughs) He's met this baby and he thinks he's got weeks and months and years ahead of him and suddenly he's like, he's here, he's come. (laughs) My days are numbered, I better better make the most of it. But of course, we don't need to feel sorry for him because he is absolutely blown away. And his reaction is... You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. The other thing I think is incredible about Simeon's reaction is that Simeon doesn't even see the full fulfillment of what God said he would do. Simeon was waiting on the redemption of Israel. He's waiting to see this whole massive change. Simeon sees a baby that is eight days old and is completely satisfied. He absolutely knows that God has done what he said he would do, even though all he's done is seen a little baby. We read on. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to call the falling and sorry, is destined to call, cause the rising and falling of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There's a verse, a few verses back from what we've just read that really stood out to me as I was reading this. In verse 33 it says, His mother and father marveled at what was said about him. I love that in this moment Mary and Joseph are astonished by what Simeon's just told them. Eight days earlier... Mary has given birth to a baby in a stable. She has met shepherds who've testified about a whole host of angels declaring his birth. They've met Magi who've traveled for miles to come and meet him. There's just this crazy, crazy experience. And still, eight days later, with Simeon's confirmation and proclamation, they are absolutely astonished. Imagine for a minute a friend of yours is having a baby. And right from the beginning, they are absolutely convinced that this baby is going to be a world-class footballer. The way it kicks in the womb, it's athleticism your friend is like, I know, not just a footballer, but like world-class. And you're thinking, whatever. And then the baby is born, and it's strong, and it's athletic, and right from day one, it's got good coordination. And your friend continues to tell you, I tell you, I absolutely know, my child is going to be a world-class footballer. And you're thinking, this is really wishful thinking, like... Everybody thinks that about their baby. Come on, let's get on with it. And then one day you're walking somewhere with your friend and their baby. Let's say you walk into church and suddenly everyone starts going nuts over this baby. Oh my goodness, I've never seen anything like it. This baby is so strong. This baby is going to be a world-class footballer. They're going to go and have a huge career. And then right in front of you, they start predicting the mother's future. 
You, as his mother, you will never want for anything material again. You will have a lifetime of paparazzi camped on your doorstep. When you're older, you will see your child on every reality TV show going while they're trying to earn money post-football. And you hear these people saying that, and you think, oh, wow, you weren't making this up. I thought you were completely crazy, but actually, maybe there's something in this. And of course, that's such a rubbish analogy, such a weak analogy, compared to what's happened here for Simeon and Mary and Joseph. Because of Mary and Joseph, they know the significance of their child. They know what God has spoken to them. They've read the passages in the Old Testament about a promised saviour. They know he's coming, that God is sending him. They've spoken. They've both had encounters with angels, both separately and together. They've witnessed the arrival of the Magi and heard the angels. And yet here in this encounter, Simeon again confirms everything that God had promised them. And they were amazed by it. Everything that had been promised, God once again confirms his promise to them. And in case that wasn't enough, and in case this encounter with Simeon wasn't enough to kind of make them feel really confident and blown away, there's a second encounter. Two confirmations for the price of one. So we're going to pick up in verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel from the tribe of Asher. She was very old and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of of Jerusalem. And then just to finish... When Joseph and Mary had done everything required of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town in Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So in this passage, we have the same theme running through both the narratives, the fulfillment of God's promise. If we were to sit down with Simeon and Anna and have a cup of tea with them, wouldn't that be a wonderful luxury if we could do that? What would they tell us? Would they tell us about the agony of the waiting? Or would they choose to tell us about the ecstasy of the moment of fulfillment? For Mary and Joseph, it was a tough journey. It had been about a year, probably, from angels speaking to Mary and telling her she was carrying the Messiah through to this experience in the temple where Simeon confirms everything once again. That's been about a year But for Simi and Anna, they had waited such a long time. It was only in their old age that they met Jesus and realized that God had done everything that he said he would do. I wonder what went through their mind during those years. Did they doubt whether they'd heard God correctly? Did they question their prophetic ability? I know I would have done. Did they wonder if God was actually just having a bit of a laugh? But what I find is amazing And I said it a minute ago, but they didn't even see the full extent of everything that God was going to do. They only saw a part of the picture, but were fully satisfied that God had kept his promise. God had done what he said he was going to do. They only saw a part of the story, but were totally satisfied by it. 
As humans, we're really bad at waiting, aren't we? I don't know if you're anything like me. The longer we wait as well, the more I tend to question things and wonder about things. We're such an instant society. We are the go-sushi society. I don't want to look on a menu and order my food through a waitress anymore. I want my food to come past me on a carousel so that I can pick up exactly what I want. We're not just Amazon Prime society. We're Amazon Prime now. I can't wait 24 hours for my thing, whatever it is that I want. I need it on my doorstep in two hours. We want everything straight away. According to a recent survey, apparently we now walk around our towns and cities 10% faster than we did 10 years ago. I find that a staggering statistic. I don't know who does that kind of research, but that's a great job, isn't it? But doesn't it just show we are always in a rush? We are such a rushed uh, society. We hate waiting for things. And I will totally confess and hold my hand up to being the most impatient person. I hate waiting for things. Part of my personality is that I'm very task-focused. I value efficiency. And therefore, if I'm having to wait for something, this is wasted time. Come on, people. We need to get on with the job in hand. I'm particularly bad if there's something that I'm waiting for that I'm looking forward to. And so for me, and I'm sure for all of us, I love reading these stories of God's faithfulness. I love hearing other people's stories of when they've been waiting. And God has, of course, done exactly what he said he would do. It is, of course, the nature of a broken world that we sit with pain and we sit with very difficult circumstances. I know many of us have very difficult situations in our lives. God doesn't always work in the way we expect him to work. God doesn't always fulfill what we've been praying for or hoping for in the way that we might expect him. Sometimes, like Simeon and Anna, we only see a part of the fulfillment. We don't see the whole thing that maybe we were praying or asking God for. And so if I was to sit down with Simeon and Anna, if I had the opportunity to have a cup of tea with them, this would be my question. How did they do it? How did they keep their faith when they had to wait so long? How did they continue to build and have a healthy relationship with God when it was so long before they saw the thing that God had promised? My suspicion would be that they didn't let their circumstances tell them what God is like. It says in the passages that they continued to serve the Lord faithfully. We read that Anna was in the temple every single day, fasting and praying. That's where Simeon was found too. They both spent hours worshipping, praying. The temple was a place of worship and prayer, and they spent hours there. And by doing that, and by choosing to be in that place, what happened was that they knew God. They knew him. They knew his character. They knew his nature. And they knew him to be the faithful one. I've been with my husband, Steve, for two years. We've been married for just three months. It's still, still very fresh. But obviously, when you're dating someone, it involves a lot of eating out, a lot of takeaways, a lot of food. And I noticed fairly early on into my relationship with Steve that Steve has three main food groups. They are burgers sausages and bacon and eggs and I count bacon and eggs as one food group and what I noticed as I say fairly early on is if it was possible to uh, order a burger in a restaurant he would more often than not have a burger in a restaurant 
And I was like, okay, well, that's, you know, that's a, a choice that some people make. And I thought, I think we probably need to broaden our horizons here. So I'm a big fan of Lebanese food. I really like Turkish food. So, you know, we're trying to mix it up and go to different places. What I've noticed is that Steve is a creature of habit. And if at all possible, he will find a way of working one of his key three main food groups into whatever his choice is. So it doesn't matter what restaurant we're in, what type of food we are eating, he will find a way of getting one of those three into his choice. So he'll have a beefsteak shawarma or he'll have a sausage tagine, just so he makes sure that those feature highly in his choice. The more I've got to know him, the more convinced I am of that fact. The other thing I am absolutely convinced of is that if a restaurant serves a burger, he will order a burger. He will pick up the menu and pretend to read the choices, but the menu is put down pretty quickly after it's picked up because once he's seen that the burger is on an option, that is exactly what he will choose. And I am more convinced about that fact the more I've got to know Steve. In the early days, I thought there was hope. I thought, you know, we might be able to branch out more. But the better I've got to know him, and the more we've eaten out together, the more convinced I am of that fact. I will absolutely bet you and put a lot of money on the fact that next time we go to a restaurant, if there's a burger option, he will order the burger. I have learned, as I've got to know Steve, is that he is a creature of habit. He would also make a really rubbish vegan. But of course, what that's happened for me is that the more I've got to know him and the more I've seen it happen again and again and again, my confidence in that fact has grown. My security in my knowledge of who he is and what he's like has grown the more I've seen it happen and the better I've get to, got to know him. So of course, for Simeon and Anna, what they've done is they've spent hours in the company of God, in relationship with God, They've watched God again and again show himself faithful. They've watched God again and again keep his promises over many, many different things. They know him. They trust his character. They know that he is faithful. So as they spent time praying and worshipping, their faith was renewed. Their expectation of what God would do was set in that place with him. Their expectation was based on knowing him, not what they saw going on around them. The best way to grow our faith is to look to the faithful one. Perhaps you're waiting for something. Perhaps you, like these guys, are waiting on the fulfillment of a word from God. Maybe you feel like God has spoken something to you. Maybe there's something you're praying about. You're really asking the Lord, I'm really you know, desperate to see this thing. And of course, for any of us, whether that's a specific situation, we're all praying for a hurting and broken and dying world. We're desperate to see God break through in the situations of many of our friends and families and neighbors and colleagues. Simeon and Anna were praying for the redemption of Israel. In that same way, our eyes are also looked higher than ourselves. As we're waiting and as we're thinking about all those things, we look to the faithful one. We base our faith on what we know of him and not what we do or don't see in our circumstances. This is a very personal theme for me. About 12 years ago, I was in the midst of grief. I had some very tense relationships in my life with various different people that was quite hard to navigate. And uh, I was carrying a burden of responsibility that wasn't mine to carry. And it was quite crushing and it was quite debilitating. I was kind of in my 
yeah, mid to late 20s, and, uh, and yeah, I was finding it really hard. And in that time, uh, kind of seeking the Lord and asking for a breakthrough in the situation, I felt like the Lord gave me a word. It was a really precious word to me. It's from the book of Joel, and the words he gave me were, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. That was such a precious verse to me because I felt like I was watching a lot of my life slipping away with this burden that I was carrying, this responsibility. And that word was so precious that the Lord would restore that to me. But as I say, that word was 12 years ago. And life continued to have its ups and downs. Life continued to kind of ebb and flow, but I held on to that word. There were many times I was like, oh, maybe, maybe that wasn't for me. Maybe it wasn't in this time. And even a couple of years ago, I stood here and spoke about the faithfulness of God when our circumstances don't look like what we think they should look like or what we were hoping for. But in the last couple of years, I've really begun to see the restoration of those things that have been difficult. Now, I just want to say as a slight aside, just for a second, I mentioned a few minutes ago that I've recently got married. I don't want those two things to accidentally be linked I had many, many happy years single. I embraced many of the opportunities that singleness brought me. And so I don't want by accident to be this assumption that because I've got married, everything is sorted. It's a small part of that story, but definitely not the whole picture. So I just feel there's a responsibility to put that on the side and say, that's a wonderful joy to me. But actually, the fulfillment of the word from God, for me, has been about restored relationships. So definitely some of those relationships I was finding hard. There's been a real healing. Even in the last six months, there's been some real conversations and some real, like, it's just a lot smoother than it ever was. I definitely feel like there's been a relief from the burden that I carry. So I feel like certainly in the last couple of years, it's been shared out a lot better. There's still an element of it there, but it definitely feels like it's been shared out better. And I definitely know that the Lord is restoring me of this constant feeling that I'm missing out. That was something that I found really tough. Everything else is happening around me and I'm missing out on it. And the Lord has really just done a work in my heart and in who I am, just as he started to really restore me and heal me in that. As I was going through that time and asking the Lord and seeking the Lord, all I knew was that I needed to stick close to Jesus. I didn't know much else, but I knew that if I looked to serving him, and I understood as I read my Bible that if I looked to serving him and loving my community, that's where I would find my contentment, and that's where I'd find my peace. That's where I would be satisfied. And as I spent time with him and clung close to Jesus, that's where I got to know a God who keeps his promises. How did Simeon and Anna do it? They focused on God. They grew their faith by spending time with the faithful one. Perhaps you yourself are in a season of waiting. Maybe you're looking forward to a fresh start that 2020 will bring. For many of us, we're looking for breakthrough in the lives of our friends and our family, other people around us, situations we find ourselves in. And so I want to start, I want to end, not starting and ending, um, I want to just kind of encourage us with some of the words that remind us of who God is. And I want to use the words that we use in this Christmas season just to remind ourselves who he is. Lots of these words come from Isaiah 9. We mentioned it earlier. He is the Prince of Peace. Above all else, in any and every situation, he is the one who brings us peace. Sometimes when we least expect it and in a situation that seems crazy, 
He's not just the one who brings peace. He is the very prince of peace. He's the best we could get. And so, yes, sometimes the presence of God, we can take those moments, and that's a real sustainer for us. He is almighty God. He is sovereign. Hard as that can be sometimes when we look at situations that don't seem to sit right, we know that he is sovereign. He is above all else, and sometimes we can only see a part of the picture he's painting. He's our counsellor. He's the best place to find wise advice and good direction. Not on social media or not all with your friends who will tell you what you want to hear. But we know that God is our great counsellor. The angels, when they declared the birth of Jesus, they said that he was good news. In a world that desperately needs to hear good news. I love that he is that to us. He is our peace. He's our light. He's described as the light of the world. And he's the one who brings us life. And the angels also said that he is for all people. The good news of Jesus isn't exclusive. For those of us who feel excluded or for those of us who feel on the outside of stuff, the good news of Jesus is not exclusive. It is good news for everyone. That's who he is. Not what we do or don't see in our circumstances, but what spending time with God, getting to know him, helps us to grasp and remember. So we have some wonderful days ahead of us, and we remember the good news that we hear at this time. Jesus came to earth. It is a message of hope, a message of great joy for all people, because what Jesus did at this time is that he became Emmanuel. God with us. That's a wonderful truth to remember as we head into these next few days.